You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. On this episode of the Animation Deliberation Podcast, J. Scotty St. Clair and Zuhair Ali reunite to cover Young Justice Season 1 Part 2, Episodes 3 through 9. Stay tuned for that and more after these ads we don't have any input over and don't necessarily reflect the views of the host or the network. A one, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite animated action series. Yeah! Woo! Woo! All right, all right. Welcome back to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, the podcast where we take action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not ourselves. At least not too seriously. Uh, I am Jay Scotty St. Clair, and joining me is Zuhair Ali. How you doing, Zuhair? Doing very well. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm definitely excited to discuss this next part of Young Justice with you. Just to give a little behind the scenes, uh, part of the reason this bo- podcast was even created is because you and I were discussing the series, and you encouraged me to go back and revisit the series. And if I wasn't already on board uh, with the first two episodes right out the gate, um, the trajectory that we're certainly on right now, and the momentum, and, and really getting to know these characters, it's some of the best stuff in the the entire DC animated universe, I would say. So, definitely looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff that goes on, a lot of stuff to get into, and uh, I'm glad that you're so on board with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for recommending it. So, uh, before we dive too too deep into the nitty gritty of the episode, I figured it would be a good opportunity just to kind of uh, discuss the arc that these particular sets of episodes take, some of the story beats, and then we can kind of uh, get into the specifics about the characters and their development. So, um, and then I'll, I'll give you the opportunity. You can, you provided a pretty comprehensive breakdown of how we should tackle these episodes and you had a a purpose when you did that. So, um, that'll be a good opportunity for you to kind of clue us in what you were thinking when you, when you decided the, the order that we break that down. So how's that sound? Yeah, bud, let's do it. Cool. Cool. So picking up off of, uh, you know, the, the introduction where we saw the formation of the team, and whatnot, we left things off where they're at, they're at the cave, they're at Mount Justice, and we've, we've got this team. We've got Kid Flash, we've got Robin, and we've got Aqualad. They just re- rescued Superboy from Cadmus, and now McGann has joined, or Miss Martian, a.k.a. McGann, has joined the team, and uh, they're being supervised by Red Tornado, with Black Canary acting as their trainer, and Batman giving them missions. So, really kind of speaking to to the arc we we see here it's really we saw kid flash aquaman or aqua lad uh robin and superboy all learn to work together as a team as they escaped cadmus this is really all about getting those additional members of the team um you know them finding their place and and finding where they fit in with the team as and uh you know as as much as it is an action series one of the reasons that they do, or one of the things that really differentiates it from a lot of the stuff in the DC 
universe is the fact that we are focusing on such a young set of characters. So in that regard, it is very much a coming-of-age story as well, uh, which I really appreciate because it really helps to endear us to these characters. And uh, so we get the addition of Began, and you know some of her growing pains and becoming part of the team is definitely um, a through line there. But we also get introduced to uh, the character of Artemis, who is basically Green Arrow's new protege. So definitely her learning to become a part of a team and um, earning the team's trust as well as the... Um, oh, her earning the, the team's trust and... The, and we, we find that she has some secrets, so uh, earning the team's trust is definitely a major through line for that character. Uh, other than that, we do find that uh, Aqualad is established as the leader of the group. Um, they continue the battle against a very mysterious organization that seems to be loosely connected uh, by these somewhat random missions. Um, you know, we get introduced to the Cobra Venom, uh, the character of Bane. He's long been associated with the um, the Venom that basically enhances his strength and whatnot. We find out that he's actually partnered with a a cult-like group, or actually, I, I guess he's not so much partnered with them as he's in a, a bit of opposition with them, but uh, they are basically modifying modifying the Venom for nefarious purposes, uh, which is part of a larger scheme. Uh, but, you know, moving on uh, from there... Yeah, um, I, I guess in terms of, like, you know, this, this particular episode arc, 3 through 9, uh, it really is all about the team coming together and we and really getting the introduction of uh miss martian as well as artemis so uh as far as i'm concerned i think this is a good opportunity to actually like dive into all the characters and speak to their um you know particular growth and and, and arcs within this arc but like i mentioned uh Zuhair, if you want to hop in and kind of you know anything that you think i i didn't highlight on or you know if you want to provide a little context of why you thought breaking up the episodes the way you did um please go for it yeah, I think you got um, you got a good idea of most of the stuff that I was thinking. One of the primary reasons I broke it up the way that I did is that every character that's in the intro has been introduced at this point. So we have the core team of Aqualad, Robin, Kid Flash, Megan, aka Miss Martian, and Artemis. Yeah. With um, Speedy now being Red Arrow. And what I like to call, like, the subcontractor of the Justice League. Because he's not directly working with the team, uh, but he does uh, keep in touch with them and ask for their help from time to time. Right. Another big theme of these episodes is definitely the position of leadership and team building. Um, There is a lot of Robin assuming that he's the leader because he's worked with Batman and Batman's what seems to be the leader of the Justice League. Like, Superman may be the face of it, but Batman's definitely who bosses everyone around. In this series, Um, certainly, yeah. So there's a lot of confliction of them establishing the roles and understanding, like, who's capable of what, understanding how they work together, and understanding how to fill in that role of leadership and their positions on the team. Sure. There's also a lot of uh, character development on how they relate to each other. You see a lot of how they interact with their mentors. Yeah. And get an expansion of... I'm not, I'm not going to 
poke too much at this, but there are characters that make minor appearances for a second that actually end up being like a key part of the story next season. Okay. So yeah. I probably wouldn't have like realized that on a first watch, but now it's more of like, wow, they showed a lot of people in such a short amount of time. Mm. So leadership and character development was definitely the overall theme of this story arc. And of course we have to like wrap it up on a big fight scene too. Like you can't just like have that and not move on to something. So I think it like racked up in a in a good big experience that these guys had to deal with. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh I like the fact that you refer to the way that they pepper in these little details that, that pay off later because and you know in some of my favorite T V shows, be it animated or live action, that's that's one of the the best approaches to storytelling you can take where you're entertained with each episode. Each episode has a a close, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, and you're not left unsatisfied in any way in terms of the story that you get each episode. But there's obviously an overarching story, a, a bigger plot at play that they do a good job of keeping you invested in without revealing too much. So um, that's definitely something I've appreciated just within this arc. All right, well, I guess that's a good opportunity to uh, just go ahead and dive into the individual characters. So you went ahead and brought up uh, Robin and his uh, struggle with leadership. Uh, that was definitely something that stood out to me, uh, the fact that he has to come to terms with the fact that he may be the, the most well-qualified to lead, but he is not quite ready. Um, did you have any other big takeaways from Robin in terms of his arc in, in this set of episodes? So the episode... Is it episode four? Yeah, episode four is the first mission. Yeah, that's the first mission that they have by Batman. You know, the first big mission that they have to go on together. Mm -hmm. Um, First off, just because it's such a minor thing, I love the way the stealth suits look. Oh, yeah. How everybody's got, like, their own version of that. You just press the button, it just goes in incognito mode. Yeah, I love that, too. (laughs) But this was a, a big episode that covered the reason of why I split the arcs and showing that position of leadership. Um, I put in my notes that like the communication between the team at this point was just God awful. Oh yeah. Because they were trying to come up with the plan and Robin disappears. And it's just like, where did he go? Oh, he's just off doing his own thing. And everyone's frustrated because the tactician of the team is like always slipping off. And he makes lines like how, like how come you guys didn't follow my lead? It's like, we didn't even notice you left. Right, right. Which says a lot to his talent and skill set of being able to disappear. Um, but his lack of talent of being able to communicate verbally on what the team needs to be doing. Yeah, I, I got a. Sorry, I, can, I was just going to say, I can't remember which character, but somebody makes the, the remark that, yeah, you know how to communicate with Batman, but you don't know how to communicate with this team. Yeah, I was actually going to. Uh, that was what I had written down, too, is that Aqualad mentioned that. So the, the line specifically is. Robin's experience has an unspoken language with Batman Mm. because in another episode, he mentions that Robin's been working with Batman since he was nine. So it's like he dove right into it. So between the age of nine to now being 13, which the ages were finally established in this age too. He's Mm. 13. Kid Flash is 15. Right. So this 13 year old freshman, like he's, he's grown with it. Like part of his, puberty was being robin and being batman like it really is like in his blood at this point Mm 
Uh, so he has that understanding of like when I do something, you follow. There's always like a tracking of what your teammate is doing. But that's something that the other folks aren't used to because they're more out in the open. Because they have powers, because they're so reliant on their powers, they don't need to be stealthy and have like the element of surprise because they can just run in and cause chaos. Sure. And it's also showing the lack of development with their powers too because kid flash he's been doing this for a while but he slips a lot yeah <laughs> like i think his weakness is just mud like he trips <laughs> over himself um he slips on the mud a lot he runs into things too often it's almost like flash in the justice league movie too like he's so uh young with his powers in the show that he's always running into walls yeah yeah uh so that shows like the lack of experience and when they say recon only like they really should have stuck with recon only shoulda coulda woulda but mcgann has like this issue of can i use my powers now can i use my powers now can i use my powers now it's like she has this great mental ability like in getting in people's heads but it's like she's confused on when she's supposed to do it. it's like do i have your permission to t-? and when things because we have people like bane mm-hmm. who like Batman's been dealing with for a while now. Robin's dealt with on multiple occasions. Like they're not going to hesitate to take you out when they need to. Yeah. So you don't have the time to make those decisions. It's just act. Um. And yeah, at the at the end of it, I think Robin was just so dead set because that's what his mentor did. But it was a big move within the span of an episode for him to be mature enough to decide, I'm not ready for this. Aquaman, you should take the helm because did I say Aquaman? Aqualad, you should take the helm. I did the same thing. (laughs) Uh, And Aqualad acknowledges that it's like, hey, this is just going to be a temporary thing just until we get this thing figured out. Right. So uh, you mentioned two characters that I I think I would argue that Robin probably has the, the strongest relationships with at this point in time. And it's fitting because they're his original teammates in terms of young justice but you've got you know the person that he decides to pass the mantle of leadership onto in aqualad but then um i also really appreciate his relationship with kid flash and wally because you you did mention we get the ages established so robin is 13 and kid flash is 15 making them at this point in time the youngest members of the team so um it's kind of interesting that while they are the youngest they're almost the most experienced in terms of you know their tenor as sidekicks mm-hmm. um, but one of the one of the things I, I loved about their relationship is kid flash is such a source of comic relief here um, and there's this this great joke Robin I one of the things we talked about offline is I had a little bit of difficulty relating to Robin initially just because he was kind of you know always had the answer never really um, seemed unsure of himself at all but uh, but one of the one of the things that has really endeared me endeared me to the character is his comedy. Um, I really like his his penchant for jokes that deal with prefixes. You know, we got the the whelm joke from the the pilot. But what one of the jokes that continued into this one was uh, the whole disaster and aster. He has that <laughs> moment with with Superboy where he's like, if a disaster is is when everything goes wrong, is an aster when everything goes right? <laughs> and then if it finally gets paid off at the end where, you know, Superboy's full, filled with so much angst, but he actually has this this moment where he can laugh with Robin. Uh, but 
going back to his relationship with Kid Flash, one of my favorite jokes that kind of emerged early on is uh, Robin has this tendency to throw Kid Flash under the bus, and Wally responds with, Dude! <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, other than that, uh, for Kid, just kind of moving on to Kid Flash here, I would say beyond the comic relief, um, and I guess still tied into the comic relief, his crush on McGann is definitely um, one of the hallmarks of his character at this point in time. Uh, we do get in- introduced to the character of Artemis. So he, uh, in their fight with Amazo, he is saved by a, a green arrow, and everyone assumes that it is uh, Speedy that has come to the rescue, but we find out later on that it was, in fact, Green Arrow's new protege, Artemis. And Kid Flash has a lot of friction with her because he wanted, you know, Speedy, Roy Harper, to join the team, but Roy Harper will not do that because he is operating on his own, and at this point in time he still kind of sees this group as a group of kids, a club. He doesn't feel like being babysat. Uh... From there, yeah, they were I would not say, happy with him being with her being Speedy's replacement, quote unquote. Right, right. And I think uh, when she's initially introduced, she introduces herself, and and Ollie does it as well. That she is her, she is his niece. Um, but we find that not to be the the case pretty early on after the fact. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but By the just way, I just wrap... looked it up. Apparently, oh, Miss sure. Martian is 48 years old, but oh, with wow. human biological equivalent is 16. Holy cow. I'm glad you looked that up. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Huh. I thought she was in her 80s. I couldn't remember. <laughs> 48. Huh? She doesn't look a day over 16. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with Kid Flash, I would say the the episode that really stuck out to me was episode 7, Denial where it's a very Dr. Fate-heavy episode, and it's a really fun episode, um, but Wally kind of gets put in, into a position where you, you don't normally see a speedster. The speedsters of the DC Universe have very much been rooted in science. Uh, the speed force is a measurable you know, field, and Wally gets confronted with, you know, does he, does he believe in, in things that require faith? And fate, and uh, he actually gets a brief tenure as Doctor Fate. Um, but another part of his his character that ties into Doctor Fate is he gets to keep that helmet, and he's got a collection of souvenirs. And I, I really love that as the as the season's going on, we get to see more and more of these souvenirs just kind of collecting on on this little shelf. Oh yeah. Did you have any other any other things you want to bring up about Wally West, Kid Flash? Uh, yeah, more on what you were saying about the the Flash family. Mm-hmm. being on the science end of things i think this is the first episode that really pushes that like you see kid flash come up with solutions to things here and there but this was the full expression of how much he dwells into science mm. as even with the point of him saying that i replicated barry allen's um formula or his accident that gave him the powers like he was actually smart enough to realize what the components of that accident were and like replicated to himself like ha figured it out as a 15 year old yeah that's that's a great point because with the the fact that he's often tied into the jokes and the comic relief he is kind of played as a, a little bit of a 
Well, he's he's played as a fifteen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, he has played as a fifteen-year-old. But yeah, that, that's a great point that you bring up. He was able to recreate the exact conditions, and that's that's kind of what makes him so stalwart and resolute in his in his beliefs in science. Um. So yeah, that's that's a, a good point. Uh, it seems like a good opportunity to to move on to McGann because I, part of the reason he Wally West did have to you know come to terms with his his belief in science versus magic is because in the beginning of that episode um part of his crush on mcgann is that he's willing to pretty much say or do anything that will impress her including pretending and believing in magic so seems like a good opportunity to kind of move on to mcgann to me you just mentioned the fact that she is biologically um martian wise she's 48 years old but we see her as as a 16 year old and that is is very it's critical to her character because, uh, especially in, in the initial episodes, she is all about trying to fit in on Earth. She wants to be a part of this team. She wants to be accepted. Uh, she's really, really, I don't want to say naive. She's inexperienced, but very well-meaning and very powerful as we, as we see with her telepathy. Um, you know, other... I, I would I, I would say her strongest relationship um, out of anyone on the team is with Superboy, which is interesting because he's he's initially the most resilient to having any relationship with anybody else. Um, but I I really enjoyed her her arc and watching her you know struggle not knowing when to use her telepathy and and kind of getting the entire team um, being subject to their their frustration and. And aggravation, understandably so. Really cool to see her. Uh, I was in the battle with Mister Twister, who was kind of a, you know, knockoff of Red Tornado, and they were even convinced that he was Red Tor- Tornado at one point in time. It, it was really cool to get to, to see her use her brains. She basically tricked Mister Twister into thinking that she was Red Tornado, and that was that was all her idea. She basically had to get the whole team on board and communicate with them telepathically. Even though earlier in that episode they were like, "Nah, you don't do that." Um, what did you think about McGann's journey, and did you have any any big takeaways? My favorite thing about the the trick shot in that episode is when they found the guy in Twister, mm. and she just picked up a rock and crushed him, and Robin <laughs> flipped out. He's like, "I don't know how you do things on Mars. We do not kill here." It's like, well. I didn't kill anybody. She lifts up the rock and you see the android. And she's just like, she's so content. Like, I'm figuring this out. I learned something today. Look at my progress, guys. Like, <laughs> she has been an Earth fangirl for so long. And now she's like, it really is like a meet your heroes type of thing. Where she has the opportunity to be on Earth and like, to have that opportunity to actually be acknowledged and be supportive and stuff like that uh, is a big deal to her. Like, yeah, she might not be the first person that you send into a situation, but she's a great asset and a great support character when it comes to communications, transportation. Uh, she's the person that can hop between the other members and actually provide what they need within that situation. As you're, as you're kind of like discussing the role that she plays on the team, I'm reminded that she actually does have a pretty significant um, story beat in the final episode of the arc that we're discussing here which is bereft where we find the entire team, you know, in the desert with amnesia and the episode basically takes, she is the protagonist of this episode. She is the first one to be able to get her memories back 
and it's kind of her mission of recruiting the rest of the team and getting them all on board. And she ultimately has this this great psychic battle with uh, Mr. Simon, which was a character I wasn't super familiar with, um, but definitely definitely cool to see. Uh, that's just, it's a good opportunity to just kind of say I, I, that's one thing I really appreciate about the series. Like I was familiar with characters like Doctor Ivo, Amazo, uh, Red Tornado. I can only imagine if um, you know a, a kid growing up watching this for the first time if they only had a very you know brief or uh, surface exposure to DC, this this has done an incredible job of introducing lesser-known DC characters and, and motivating you to learn more about them. Most definitely. There's some that, on this rewatch, not going to lie, I don't bother remembering their name because they just, they aren't that prevalent, but Simon is definitely one that comes back a few times and is very Ooh, problematic okay. for the team. Uh, so that episode was really cool to watch again. And one of the things that I was really observant on was this team took or this episode took the opportunity to show what these members are capable of doing individually mm. with a lack of resources. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. So Robin was probably the first one to go, okay, hold up, let me evaluate where am I? How did I end up here? What's the mission? What's going on? Let me let me get this. Like he was the first one to just kind of like snap out of it and like collect himself and get himself sure. together. That's fair. While the others were like in a state of panic, like yeah, Superboy actually wasn't even born at this point, so he didn't have a mind to bounce back on. Miss Martian was wildly confused. Right. Kid Flash was basically in a state of panic, and then like. It was when he was in front of Artemis that it was like, "Oh, hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm here to help out. I'm a superhero." <laughs> Artemis's line of like, "Oh, this is my dad, probably like setting me up. He probably wants me to kill you or something." It's like, I need to know more about your family, like now. Right, right. Who's your dad? Why is he like that? Who's your daddy? <laughs> Talk about your daddy. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's an excellent point. That is. Uh... And I think it goes kind of goes back to speaking to why you chose to break these episodes up the way you did. As, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, um, my main takeaway from this arc is that it's all about the formation of, of the greater team outside of that core that we saw built in the pilot episode and them learning to work together. So it is a, a great opportunity or a, a great example, as you put that, as functional as a team they are, they are very capable of operating individually. And it was kind of cool to, to see that showcased after, after, you know, spending so much time with them as a team. But there were a couple of opportunities earlier in the season to spend a little one-on-one -on -one time, um, with, with some characters. Um, I'd say Superboy got kind of his, his own episode in some regards, uh, in schooled when they faced Amazo, it was his, you know, journey learning to, come to terms with the fact that he, just because he he is the you know the clone of superman and, he's, and he has the same well not the exact same power set as superman but he's he's just as capable as superman him learning that he needs to learn something in terms of being tactical and being part of a team and then also aqualad kind of got his own episode where he was feeling a little homesick and we actually get a whole episode devoted to him going back to atlanta or atlantis and it's funny I say Atlanta, that's my hometown. <laughs> yeah, Georgia boy. Going back to Atlanta. Uh, 
back to Atlantis um, and kind of deciding, does he want to be in the world of Atlantis or does he want to exist in the surface world and, and continue to be a part of Young Justice? So, uh, Which would you like to, to go for? you want to tackle Superboy or Aqualad, our leader, first? Uh, I have a few things to say about Aqualad, but let's stick yeah. with, with Superboy because one of my favorite things about the Amazo episode yeah. was that especially with how early the episode was, that was a great way of showing what the Justice League was capable of without having to show them. Yeah, that's, that's a Because great point. it starts off with the news report of them taking, like, what, four or five hours to, like, all, like, come together and take Amazo down. Correct. But when Amazo gets put back together and has to deal with the League, like, they're saying, access Martian Manhunter, access yeah. Superman, access Flash, and you see how those heroes use those powers. Right. And it was a way of showing, like, this is how the Justice League would go against the team at this point if they had to fight him, fight them today. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was cool seeing which powers, um, which powers and what skill sets are part of their mentors, what kind of stuff they had to deal with. Sure. It's what I said last episode. My favorite thing about this is I don't like... I don't like the heroes where the story doesn't operate without them being there because them showing up, they just automatically win type of strength. I like to think that Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Shazam, and Captain Adam are right all about around the same strength level. Okay. But when it's like Superman is way up here... And then anybody else with super strength just, like, drops way below. I I don't like that level of fluctuation within power levels. Mm. And Young Justice doesn't do that. Like, it was... You're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Stay near the magic. Book your theme park tickets and get hotel rates from $94 per night plus tax at DisneySpringsHotels.com slash 50. Rates based on availability. Lockout dates may apply. See website for details like everybody fought Amazo and Superman showed up so then it's all over right like Superman relies on the league he works with the people he has to actually like he has to work with them he's not invincible and he actually takes a beating from time to time mm. um to stay on the topic of Superboy one of the one of the most awesome scenes in the show is the fact that um they start off one episode of Superman saving the bridge that was collapsing. Yes. yes. And Superboy's coming in to help out and like almost messes him up. Right. Um Superboy despite showing how powerful he is, like was struggling just to get something as simple as a school bus. Superman actually had to help out with that. Um but Superman wasn't just like, "Oh, I showed up. Let me just, you know, hold this bridge up with one finger." Like you see him actually needing to focus and use his abilities and use his strength and actually like line up on what he's going with like just something as simple as superboy jumping on like really threw him off 
Um, so seeing the parallels between these characters and how these younger heroes actually have the ability to get up to their mentors, it's a possibility, and they show that very early how how prominent their skill sets are at this point. Sure, sure. But uh, I, I do like the fact that uh, even outside of this episode with, you know, Canary training Superboy, there are a couple of times later on that we see um, individual members of the team kind of training against each other. And it's kind of funny that in multiple scenarios, we, we see one victor come out over another where you might expect it going the other way, and that just goes to speak how the League works so well together. And, you know, Batman has those contingencies. He could technically take out any member of the League if he needed to. You kind of believe that every single member of Young Justice, if push came to shove, they would be able to neutralize the other if they needed to. So that's something I've appreciated seeing along the way. Um, Yeah, so you bring up the fact that uh, we do get a little... We haven't seen very much of Superman, that's that's one thing about this series. We spent a lot of time, well, not a lot of time, but we've out of the members of the league, we've gotten a fair amount of time with Batman. And one of the things that he you can tell he he has a vested interest in Superboy. Oh, um, yes. It's going back to the pilot. It's kind of like Batman and and Superboy's standoff where Superboy says, "Hey, this is happening. You can either get on board or get out of the way." Um so, Batman has this one-on-one moment with Superman where he's like, hey, we need to talk. Um, and Super Superman kind of shrugs it off or whatever, but it was one of my favorite scenes in the entire series, really, because they, they go to this diner, Batman's like, or actually, Batman is Bruce Wayne, because Bruce Wayne witnessed the whole debacle on the bridge. Um, he gets Superman to appear as Clark Kent at this diner, and I love the fact that... Uh, Superman orders apple pie, the most American dessert you can get where uh, <laughs> uh, Batman gets the devil's food. <laughs> but, you know, it's a pretty brief conversation, but uh, it's still I'll interesting. I'll take this pie to go. Exactly. It's still interesting to see how Superman is usually played as so altruistic. This version of Superman, he is rightfully distraught by the presence of Superboy but you would think any other version of Superman would want to step in and you know foster a relationship with him, help him learn his power set. But this Superman does not seem willing to, to do that at all. So we haven't got a, a ton of payoff other than that that we got in this episode that Superman is, is clearly uncomfortable with it. But uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing, seeing where that relationship uh, comes to a head. And this is a Batman that, as I mentioned last episode... He has a very commanding presence. There, There's even a line where Superboy goes like, oh, you're going to put us on a mission like this? Just keep us busy, blah, blah, blah. And Batman just goes, do you have something better to do? <laughs> and in that tone of presence, like, room just goes pin drop silence. Right. Robin even says at some point, like, oh, yeah, like, getting Batman to show emotions, that's that's a that's a good one. And there's there's plenty of times where he has this this he just needs to say one line and everybody just kind of like you know kind of bows their necks and listens to what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Batman's not somebody you mess with even though he's human. 
but there's there's a very wholesome part of one of the episodes. It's it's the Atlantis episode where you see everybody with their families. Oh yeah. And Robin is really upset by the fact that Batman wanted to talk to Aqualad one-on-one because he was the leader. And he was training and, side note, watching Robin train and the fact that he can actually punch through a wall as a normal human is pretty amazing as a 13-year-old human. But Batman actually calls him out with the basketball and he was like, high-end coordination training. But you see, you see him in father mode, Mm -hmm. like caring father mode. Him and Alfred just kind of like he needs attention right now. Yeah. The, the nobody else ever sees it that way, but as an audience, you get to like witness like, oh man, like he actually cares about these people, so he has this level of caring for Superboy too, and he wants to make sure that he has that father like presence from Superman because he sees how Robin responds to it. Yeah. No, I'm I'm really glad you brought that because that was an excellent excellent moment. I mean, Batman and Robin go together, you know, like peanut butter and jelly. They're a classic American icon. But so often we see it from, you know, the perspective where Batman is our our our, our focal, the one that we're focusing on, you know, primarily, and, and Robin's a little bit second fiddle. It is really interesting to see where we focus on Robin. He does have that need for a father figure. He doesn't see Batman just as, you know his trainer or, you know, the person that's providing him with the, with the skill set and everything like that. He actually is capable. And it just goes to show that again, he is still a 13 year old boy. He's capable of jealousy when he sees, yeah. you know, Aqualad getting that, that one-on-one time. But, uh, I would say that's a, a pretty good opportunity to go ahead and move on to our leader of young justice. Uh, Mr. Kalaram Aqualad. Um, and, through discussing the the rest of the characters, I think we've already kind of hit on some of the major major beats for him. Obviously, he's a little more resilient of a leader. It's not his idea to lead. Um, he just happens to be the most capable and, and, and qualified leader, so he's happy to um, step up into that role with the with the the say, uh, basically with the approval of the team. It's not his idea, it's it's the uh, the team's idea. And, and he serves that role pretty well. Um, we mentioned, you know, the episode where he goes back to Atlantis, he's having a little bit of uh, a hard time, you know, coming to terms with the dichotomy of his life. You know, he has a home in Atlantis, but he also has a home in the surface world and uh, a family here in the surface world that he's growing closer, closer to. But... Uh, I'm, I'm, I might be getting a little confused on arcs here. Does he learn about the mole in this set of episodes? No. I believe he does. I think it's episode... It was the episode after. I thought it was Infiltrator. Oh, no, no, you're right. It is the episode after. Yeah, because I looked yeah. that up beforehand because I didn't want to mention if I was oh, okay. to. No worries. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess really other than him him becoming leader, I would say you know one of, one of my favorite episodes is when... Artemis really first had her first mission with the team, and they they go up against uh, Cheshire. She uses these poison darts that he just takes right into the arm, and we find out he has an immunity to jellyfish toxins. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that was a really cool moment. It was cool to to see him as a tactical leader pull that trick on Cheshire, where you know she thinks she has this doctor isolated 
and who is it? It's actually McGann. But that it wasn't McGann's idea this time. It was actually Aqualad's idea. So pretty cool to see him uh, showcase his his leadership qualities and his his mind for tactics as well. Did you have any other big big takeaways? You were asking last week about kind of like his anatomy and power set and whatnot, and that's something that they definitely addressed a lot throughout these episodes. Mm. In the Wally West Doctor Fate episode, they mention when they were trying to find like, oh, like there's no such thing as magic. There's science to everything. That's when they mentioned the whole like bioelectric thing. So it is right inexplainable magic, but that's also when. Aqualad mentions that there is a whole school just for magic in Atlantis that people are required to take. Right. Uh, so we got an idea of like where his powers come from. It's something that's taught. It's not something that he's necessarily born with, and he's pretty dang good at it. Um, I don't know if I noticed it in the first two episodes, but definitely afterwards you see that he has, like, um, I, I guess, like, webs between his fingers. Oh, yeah. So it's very, like, like flipper-type material. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Just the little details like that are really neat to see. And there was another one. Oh, uh, when the when the battle happens in Atlantis and Mira steps up and she's protecting everybody and protecting the battles and kicking ass, to be honest. Queen Mira was awesome in that. Yeah. Especially when she brought up the octopus and she was, like, protecting the kids and, like, hitting the other people and throwing them around. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that was so wild to watch. I loved that scene so much. Like, I'm watching it. I was like, is there an octopus? I feel I remember an octopus. There's the octopus. <laughs> um, but when Mira is fully accessing her powers, you see the glow on her skin. Okay. There's, like, uh, textures and stuff that come up. Mm-hmm. So that makes me believe that the light is relevant to what type of magic they're using. And okay. because Aqualad has it go down his arm, I feel like he just got tattoos that kind of like match what his... Like, I feel like the the, the tattoos were just a personal choice of his because that's where the lines go in relation to the magic that he uses. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have a lot of, of context to offer outside of that. I just me kind of theorizing off the top of my head. I wonder if like maybe because they are tattoos, maybe they use the ink of like a squid or something like that. And maybe it it helps with the conducting (laughs) of the, uh, the electricity. (laughs) Just an idea. Just an idea. That, that little artist with the octopus head that was doing the, I guess a very Roman like artwork. It was really cool hearing the history of the relationship between uh, Calderon. I'm forgetting his best friend's name. You got Garth and Tula. Garth, yeah. yeah. Yes. Party on, Garth. How Garth and Calderon caught the attention of Aquaman, and it was because of their assistance. Because there were already warriors at that point that were capable of providing assistance, is how Aquaman defeated Prince Orm and became the king of Atlantis. So that little. They do a really good job at giving these quick history lessons. Even with Dr. Fate, like they gave a quick recap. And in that recap of the Justice League Society, they showed Jay Garrick Flash. Yeah, yeah. He showed cool. up at Kid Flash's dinner yeah. table. Little things like that was just, ah, I love it. This was actually the episode where they showed everybody like with their families. And it was just, it was so wholesome. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, we we yeah we got to see Kid Flash with his family. This is the first time we got introduced to Artemis's mom, who is in a wheelchair. Uh, so refresh my with memory. With her this... high standard of education. Correct, correct. So this would have seen Superboy and McGann at Mount Justice because that is their home. Uh, what what happens to them in this episode? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little foggy, but I feel like this is kind of maybe the first um, inclinations of a romantic relationship between them. They kind of have a cooking at home incident, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right? Yeah, Red Tornado walked in on them, quote-unquote, making dinner. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, we did just mention Artemis, and she is the final member to join the team. And, again, kind of similarly to, to Aquaman, you know, discussing all the other characters, we've certainly made plenty of references to her, but just to kind of tie it all back together, um, she is the new protege to Ollie, Green Arrow, in the absence of Roy Harper, Speedy, who's now going by Red Arrow. And right out of the gate, we we find that she's hiding something, you know. Not only is she not Green Arrow's niece, but her first mission out the gate, she kind of has... She I, I mentioned she has the most friction with uh, Kid Flash, but she has a little bit of friction with everybody at, at one point in time, like... I remember when Superboy's walking away, when it's McGann and, and her watching the perimeter, she's like, mmm, that boy. And then McGann <laughs> immediately gets a little infuriated. You, you embarrassed him. Everyone but, can hear you. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, oh, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the, it, the high school drama really doesn't, like, it doesn't matter what age you are, like, the high school drama doesn't get old in this. It's just always so funny to watch. Oh, yeah, because there was that... Uh, it's actually the, the same episode because it's Cheshire um, attacking, you know, the the nano the nanotech doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so all members of the Young Justice team are there with that doctor, and she's like having to listen to this entire telepathic conversation. <laughs> I like yeah. how Miss Martian earlier was also like, "Oh, I've always wanted a sister. I mean, I have twelve on Mars, but a human <laughs> sister." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's funny, she's given so much flack um, throughout the episode, and but she ends up earning a lot of goodwill, but at the end she kind of has to... Uh, it kind of gets undone in the fact that we know that she has some kind of relationship to, to Cheshire. Cheshire knows something about her past, has something over her that she could reveal to the team. So, unfortunately, she has to let her go. Um and that does result in her, you know, getting a little bit of ire from the rest of the team. But Aqualad had kind of a a funny moment. The first time I heard the line, like, I didn't know how to, to take it. He was like, and the doctor's safe and no part thanks to you. But then he kind of smiles afterwards. The way he says it, you don't, you're like, ouch, wow, that's kind of harsh, dude. But then he gives that kind of soft smile where it's like, yeah, you're part of the, you're part of the team. We've all made mistakes. And Was it in no part thanks to you? I remember hearing that line and like I had to pause and say it out loud three or four times because okay. it just didn't sound right and then when I said it I was like, Oh, that's what he I I gotta say that, that one line was just some kind of bad writing. Like they could have worded that. Oh. Uh, okay. All right. But like, it, de- he, it definitely did give me pause, so <laughs> Yeah, when I when I said it again I was like, Okay, I see what they meant to say. They didn't do a good job at that. 
Yeah. Well, I, uh, with any with any TV show, you know, nothing's going to be perfect. Um, I, for one, I take the Kevin Smith kind of stance where if there are things that I don't like as much, I just tend to kind of not focus on them. But yeah. it, it is worth uh, bringing up if you if you had any kind of issues outside of that. Was was there anything that kind of you know was a bit of a thorn in your side, or or you thought there were continuity issues or anything like that? I didn't really have anything. No, it's one of the reasons I appreciate the show so much cool. is that everything that shows up and happens is becomes a factor later on, yeah. and sometimes you don't even realize it until a rewatch. Hmm. Yeah, it's probably like my fifth or sixth time watching this season again. Oh wow! Yeah, I really wow. like the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I also I... like the ending of that episode where Red Arrow kind of approaches Artemis in the hallway or in the alley, mm. very aggressively. Like, I know you're not Oliver's niece. I know you're hiding something, and I got my eyes on you, type of thing. Like, you know he cares about the team and wants to be a part of it, but he's just like on his moral pedestal of, like, I'm right and I'm going to prove it by doing my own thing. Yeah, we, we kind of mentioned he's still referred to them as kids and whatnot, but I think he what he specifically says is, don't hurt my friends. So yeah. it, it's pretty cool to see that he actually does regard them as friends, even though he's been a little high and mighty and had a bit of a superiority complex. Um, but yeah. I mean, he, sh- he also shows that he deserves it because his whole interaction of saving this doctor from the league of shadows of all things which i'm gonna point out i like league of shadows more than league of assassins it just has more mystery in the name you know yeah i agree it just i like i know it's more they changed the name for kids and this that but it it sounds a lot cooler (laughs) i'm always gonna call it league of shadows i don't care what people say well, it's, um, it's funny that uh, you, you bring up Assassins, because uh, it's just one thing I wanted to bring up. Superboy is vo- is voiced by Nolan North, who is a, a veteran voice actor. He's had a lot of roles within the uh, video game community. But I kept, I, I was like, I recognize Superboy's voice. Where have I heard this voice before? And then it just hit me. Nolan North is doing the same voice he did for Desmond Miles in the Assassin's Creed games. Have you played any of those? Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah. Go back and listen to Superboy. He is he is Desmond Miles. Huh. Yeah. But uh, anyway, with with Superboy still hot on the mind, one of the th- one of the things that uh, stuck out to me, or just a funny line that he had, was uh, the whole "I hate monkeys" thing. Because <laughs> he's very he's, consistent line. Yeah, he's so he's just so full of angst. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And then also I with the monkeys, with the robotic flying monkeys, when McGann had like six arms come out of her, and she was like swatting them one by oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the the truck driver freaks out. She's like, "Why?" And then Wally yells, and she yells, and has the whole arm coming out of her yeah. head. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> it's like, bro, this isn't Mars. <laughs> this isn't normal shit to see on a regular basis. You have to yeah. understand the shock factor right now. Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> you bring up Megan uh, or McGann, and that's that's one thing I'll kind of go back to. So I totally understand why they choose to have her want to go by Megan rather than McGann and whatnot. But it, it's just kind of weird for me. I guess it it just kind of goes to show that the show did come out about ten years ago now. So I feel like if the show were to come out 
nowadays people are so on board with, uh, you know, the weird and wonderful of, of the comics and whatnot. We wouldn't re- really need to have that convention. I mean, again, I understand the fact that she's a, a teenage girl trying to fit in. So it is very, it's appropriate in that regard. But it, it just kind of makes me wonder, um, as the series go on, as the series progresses, will she continue to embrace this Megan or will we see more of McGann? I hope we see more of McGann. Yeah. I mean, as an immigrant, I kind of feel that where it's like you come in and people don't want to take the time to learn your name because it's so different. So they just like come mm-hmm. up with something for you. Yeah, you've got an interesting perspective there. Yeah. And because she's such, like I said, she's such a fangirl of Earth that that's something that she's just kind of suffering. It was just kind of like, no one's really going to know what McGann is from my understanding. So maybe I should switch it up so it's easier for people to say. It's like, I'm sorry that you have to do that. Yeah. Hello, Megan. <laughs> She's still really, really endearing. I, I love how altruistic and well-meaning she is. Um, it's it's a nice a nice balance to some of the more... Well, obviously, Aqualad is very stoic and straight-laced. Yeah. Robin's not without his, you know, s- snide, you know, remarks and uh, his, his penchant for humor. Oh yeah, Superboy is is totally angsty. That's uh, that's that's his thing. He's he's full of uh, primal primal. It's funny that he hates hates monkey hates monkeys because that's definitely how I would I would describe him at this point in time. Is just primal. Uh, Wally is definitely the goofball of the brunch. Eh. Wally is definitely the goofball of the bunch. And then we've got uh, Artemis here, who is still a little bit of a mystery. Did you have any other uh, big takeaways for this particular episode arc that you, you wanted to get into? Um, it's it's what I was saying before that we backtracked. Uh, Red Arrow and his experience with the League of Shadows. Like, if you're... If you have DC knowledge, like, you know that the League isn't something that you mess with. It's not something you typically get out alive. Mm. It's always the instant reference to um, Ra's al Ghul. So for him to be able to break into one of their fortresses and save this doctor who, oh my god, that doctor was a bitch. Like, she had to complain <laughs> about everything. Like, oh, they couldn't send in the actual league. I wasn't good enough for them. They had to send the boy to come and get it. So of course, you know, he loved that line. Right. But, man, seeing him being able to, like, hold his own and actually get out of there, okay, and then report straight to the team, and then... Robin was so excited, like, oh, we're going to take on the League of Shadows. It's going to be such a big deal. I was like, oh, no, I did all this already. (laughs) As as braggy as it is, it justifies him and his position on, I deserve to be part of the Justice League. I deserve to be able to work with them. I'm not a sidekick. And doing stuff like this proves that I'm not a sidekick. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, he's earned the right to be the asshole that he was. In yeah. the first two episodes, I, I won't disagree with that. I've I've kind of made mention of it, but I really do think that he, in his limited screen time, he's had some of the most dynamic action sequences and best use of the the bow and the trick arrows that uh, I've seen in any any iteration of you know the Green Arrow or or you know Archer family. Yeah. So 
Uh, one other takeaway for me, I always kind of, I, I just mentioned Nolan North and his great job as Superboy, but I always like to give a little bit of uh, a shout out to some of the behind the scenes people that really stand out to me. So we did mention um, in episode three, we have a character called Mr. Twister, who is very much uh, an evil version of uh, Red Tornado. And this voice actor, I just have to give him some credit because he chewed the scenery so so well. I loved uh, I love the way he delivered his lines. He is a gentleman by the name of John Delancey. So uh, he does a, a great job. It's it's almost right there being over the top and a, a little bit too much, but you can just tell he's relishing and, and being a, a bad guy and eating up every scene. So I really hope uh, that's a character that we can see return. If not just this, this voice actor, if he's able to, to lend his talents in the future, I'll definitely keep an eye out for him. Something I've been wondering about, but I haven't quite looked up with is if the, if the, the Siri of the cave is the same voice actress as Artemis. Cause it kind of sounds like her whenever they introduce somebody from the Zeta tubes. Hmm. Uh, I do not know off the top of my head, but I do, I, I can't think of the voice actress's name completely off the top of my head. I can actually look it up. I know her first name's Stephanie. Yeah, so Stephanie Lamellon does the voice of Artemis, but that's the only role she's credited with. Let me just double check. Yeah. I believe, yeah, I believe Stephanie Lemelin only voices Artemis. Okay. Oh, no, you are, you are right. She also voices the Justice League computer. Took me a second to get there. Nice. Good catch. Yeah, that's an excellent catch, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. But, you know, I, we're, we're just kind of mentioning those ones in particular, but I, I, I would say the the voice acting all around has been really solid. I don't think there's a, a weak link amongst anybody. There might be the, the occasional line of dialogue that makes me give pause, but uh, more often than not, I really appreciate um, the intelligence of the dialogue as well as you know the intelligence of the, of the show. It, it it works for kids and adults, especially. Oh yeah, humor. for sure. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for I think that's going to wrap it up for Young Justice season 1 part 2 episodes 3 through 9 for the Animation Deliberation podcast. My name is Jay Scotty St. Clair. You can find me on Twitter at @jscottforreal, on Instagram at @jscottyforreal. Both reels are R E L rather than R E R E A L and that's a number 4. Uh you know, stay tuned to the Animation Deliberation Podcast. We're going to have a lot of good stuff coming out here. We are a part of the Stranded Panda Network. It's a home to it's home to a family of podcasts, uh, including the MCU Podcast, the Star Trek Universe Podcast, and the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Zoo Hair, did you have anything you want to plug? I'm still um, pretty bad at keeping up with my socials, but if you do ever want to check out my work, check out Z Ali Photography on Instagram. Z Ali Photography. I like it. All right, thanks guys for tuning in. Uh, we will definitely look forward to the next entry. Be well. Stay whelmed.
One, two, three. Get ready for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite animation, of our favorite, of our favorite action animated series. Yeah. Woo. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.